You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. The money was just burning a hole in Bill Belichick's pocket. He had to spend it, and as fast as possible. Opinionated. Of all the stopgap quarterbacks, Cam Newton was the best choice for the Patriots. Kudos to them getting it right. To the point. Sox will be better. They're still finishing in fourth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show. Welcome in here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Fully digital show today. No live on-air product. Reason why Red Sox-Mets coming up with the pregame show at 540. So we'll just get right to it here on the uh, Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. appreciate all of you who subscribe, rate, and review. We will have two interviews Today on the podcast version, Mike Matnansky of WEEI in Boston. You hear him. You know him as Mutt on the Red Sox pregame show each weeknight here on DEV. And Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio will be with us as he is every single Wednesday. When we are live on the air on DEV, and we do have full shows coming up on Thursday and Friday, you can always get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line at 802-585-3026. Crew, let's get going. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans, and online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to get to a local story that we've been following now for the better part of two and a half months. And this is the Jacob Grout story, the now former boys hockey coach at Harwood High School. So remember, he was fired in February for sending an expletive-filled text message to his team. The Harwood School Board today is going to review the Jacob Grout termination at their school board meeting. And simply put, before I get into anything else, I don't think there's a chance that Jacob Grout gets his job back. I think that he should I do not think there's a chance that he will. Here is how this works. School board is meeting tonight. They'll be talking about Jacob Grout's firing back in February, okay? The board chair and the vice chair, so two members of the board, have told the board in public record, this is out there, their recommendation and is that the case is closed and they want to move forward. So they their recommendation is, hey, we're done with this. We're not giving Jacob Grout his back, job back. We're not talking about this any further. Here is their exact wording in those public records. In the matter of the termination of the boys' hockey coach, the board concludes that the principals, athletic director, and superintendent operated within their statutory authority regarding at-will employees. It is the administrator's responsibility to make these kind of employment and hiring decisions. The board encourages the administration prior to next fall to review the implementation of district policies and procedures to make sure all coaches are specifically informed of best practices. And the board considers this matter closed. So what all that means is the people at the head of the board are saying, hey, we think this is over with. There are 12 other members of the board, though, who also get to weigh in. 
So what this tells me, he's not going to get his job back. Okay, There just really seems to be no way. Do some subset, do enough of the other 12 board members have the stomach to go against the highest ranking board administration? I would highly doubt that. From what I know about boards and local town politics, it seems to me that enough people of those 12 would not have the stomach to go against their higher-ups here on the board. Okay, If the board says today, if they come in agreement that we're done with this, Jacob Grout, it's over. His job is done. If they agree to talk about it further, okay, if enough of them do have the stomach, they still may, you know, not get, you know, they still may ultimately decide not to give him his job back, but it just gets kicked down the road for a little bit longer. I just don't see any way that Jacob Grout's going to get his job back. How many people on that board really truly care about athletics? I mean, if you think about the cross section of who's on a school board, some are interested in solely education. Some are interested in athletics. Some are interested in the arts. Some are interested in this, that, or the other. They all come with varying degrees of interest in topics. And what are the odds that enough people care about athletics or care about hockey? I would say I'm sure not enough to champion Jacob Grout's cause. And of those that don't, and I'm sure that's the majority, I just feel like they'll just go along with the rest of the group and try to wash their hands of this. And that's really too bad. Because Jacob Grout never deserved to be fired. He never deserved to be fired. He's an alum of the school. He went to Harwood. Now that doesn't excuse you from being from doing dumb things, but it should at least get you in good enough graces to get a fair shot at this thing. Sending the message that he sent, the expletive lace text message to his team, that was dumb. I said it the day we learned about this story. I said it to Jacob Grout when he came on. It was a stupid thing to do. But he didn't swear at his players. He swore to them, and there's a difference. He wasn't calling his players names. He wasn't insulting them. He was using bad language, yes, which was dumb to do, especially to write it out. It was very, very dumb. But he also did not swear at his players. Trust me, I played high school sports. I played two different varsity sports. I played three years of varsity basketball. I played two years of varsity baseball. I played four years of college baseball. I have been sworn at. I have been degraded by coaches. I have been called names by coaches. I have I have you know been heard language that did get one of my coaches fired and it was deserved, I'm you know I believe. This was not that. This was a mistake. It was a poor choice by Jacob Grout. It at most deserved a few game suspension. It never deserved a firing. It never deserved a firing. The board says we believe we operated within our authority of Atwell employees. Well, guess what? That's not what this is about. Yes, Atwell employees can be terminated. That doesn't make it right. Okay, The school board and the administration never needed to do this, and now they want to sweep this under the rug because they just want this to go away. I think some of them probably know they're wrong, but they just don't want to bring this out into public light and make themselves look even worse. That's what I really think this is about. Jacob Grout won't get his job back, not because he doesn't deserve to have it back, but because people just want this to go away. And they don't want to look like they made the decision poorly all along. They just want to sweep this under the rug the best they can. It's not about, like, Vermont's an at-will state. I'm aware of this. Employees can be terminated for any number of reasons. And they're really their employers, unfortunately, really don't need a reason. But... 
I never questioned if Harwood did something illegal. I'm saying that Harwood has done something wrong. They're not, you know, they didn't do something illegal in getting rid of Jacob Grout. They did something wrong in getting rid of Jacob Grout. And the, the just the continued incompetence of this school district and how they handle HR-related issues is just mind-boggling to me. Jacob Grout gets fired for a bad text message. It deserved a suspension, perhaps a multi-game suspension. What he did was wrong. But Sean Thompson, who assumes the job after Jacob Grout is fired, is allowed to coach the team a few days later in the state championship game after being arrested, or he's allowed to coach a few days after being arrested for suspicion of DUI. He keeps his job. Sean, Sean Thompson keeps his job. Jacob Grout loses his. This, to me, was never about if Harwood and their termination of Jacob Grout was legal or illegal. I know it's legal. I also know that it's wrong. And when you look at how Harwood has handled the Sean Thompson case, it's completely mind-blowing to me that he keeps his job and Jacob Grout loses his. The school board tonight has an opportunity to do right by Jacob Grout and at least continue the discussion. But I don't think they will because I don't think that they have the stomach for it. I just don't think the school board will have the stomach to go against their higher-ups on the board and to drag the school board through the mud even longer. Like, I'll come on, you know, subsequently and talk about the school board being wrong, but I think the school board will just say, look, we can handle the, the, the grief for a week. What we don't want is this story still out there, and we don't want more conversation about us and what we did wrong. And that is wrong. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Dot com. Um, all right, we do it every single Wednesday when we are live on the air. Let's transition to a subject that makes me frustrated in a very different way. Let's get to our midweek questions. Midweek questions. Midweek questions is the same question I've had for the last three months. What are we going to get from the Boston Celtics? What are we going to get from the Celtics? I mean, who are the real Celtics? I don't even know if we know at this point who the real Celtics are. They lost last night to an Oklahoma City Thunder team that had lost 14 consecutive games. 14 consecutive games. Listen to the radio call of the of the final buzzer in that game. This is from the Thunder perspective. Listen to the Thunder radio call. Brown, who fires a 50-footer at the buzzer that's no good. The Thunder snap, their 14-game losing streak, breaking through for their first win in April, their first road win since March 22nd in Minnesota, 119-115 in Boston tonight. A mighty impressive Thunder conquest of the Celtics. They hadn't, they lost 14 games in a row. They hadn't won a road game since March. That's how bad and how downtrodden the Thunder are. They are 20 games under 500. And look, I can't, fully judge the Celtics. They played without Jason Tatum. They played without Kemba Walker. They played without Robert Williams, but still you think they could win. The frustration is mounting for them. Listen to Jalen Brown yesterday after the game. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, we got to play with more of a sense of urgency. Um, tonight, I feel like we didn't have a sense of urgency that we needed across the board. Uh, and a team that has some young, talented players came ready to play. We got, we got beat. You know, we got to come and, and have some pride and, and play with some urgency. I didn't think tonight was the night we played with urgency, especially after a tough um, a game against Charlotte two days ago where we got our ass kicked. Everybody should have came ready to play with more urgency, and uh, we didn't. 
uh, for whatever reason. You know, the frustration is mounting. You can hear it there for Jalen Brown, and it's mounting for fans. Like, we never know who's in the lineup and who's not, and some of that is be- is out of our control. It's injuries, it's COVID, it's load management, it's all of the above here, okay? I can't I can't get on Evan Fournier for contracting coronavirus. Like, I can't get upset with him, but he's out for three weeks, essentially, from the lineup. We never know when Kemba's in. We never know if Tatum or Brown has something creeping up. Robert Williams is in and out. Uh, Fournier's been in and out. Like, we just never know who's playing, and... I want to shred them for lack of effort, but when you're missing several players, sometimes it's hard to do that. Like, I have no idea what becomes of this team in the playoffs. If they can magically get to fourth right now, they're sixth. If they can magically get to fourth in the Eastern Conference, I'd still think they have a great shot to do some damage. But if they end up in the play-in tournament or seventh, they'll be out in the first round. They'll be out in the first round if they end up in that spot. If They've got 10 games left. In the regular season. And look, I'm a passive onlooker of last night's game. Last night, I was much more in tune to the Red Sox. So I wasn't fully invested in the Celtics. But it's embarrassing when you see that you lose to a team at home. Celtics were at home to a team 20 games under 500. Who is you know, playing guys that most of us have never even heard of. Like some of the Thunder roster is unknown to NBA fans. It's embarrassing to lose that game. Even when... Even when you're missing players, it's embarrassing to lose to a team in that situation. I don't know what happens to the Celtics in the playoffs, but they've got to figure this out. And they've got to get to a point where their lineup is healthy and consistent and their rotations are consistent because they just haven't been. And that's part of the reason I feel a little more detached from the Celtics team. I never know who's playing, and I never feel like I'm seeing them at their best. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right. So the Red Sox beat the Mets last night. Final score was 2-1 to one on a great performance by Garrett Richards. We'll get to that in a little while. It's important the Sox won last night because they're going to see Jacob deGrom tonight, who's just been otherworldly this season. So good to go into that matchup with one in hand if you are the Red Sox. And the reason we're not on the air live today is because of the earlier start time for the Red Sox and Mets. 5.40 with the pregame show, 6.40 for the first pitch. When 5.40 hits, the voice you're going to hear on Red Sox pregame is Mike Mitnansky who is the host of the pregame show right here on your home for Red Sox baseball, WDEV. Mud, it's our first time talking. Thanks for being with us, man. How are you? Brady, I'm doing good. We thank you guys for uh, carrying Red Sox baseball. And, uh, yeah, this team's pretty good this year, it looks like. Looks like they're pretty good. Did you have Garrett Richards' seven-inning gem on your Red Sox bingo card last night? Uh, no, I think I had Garrett Richards for, like, nine walks again and bad pitching and uh, I was as shocked as anybody. You heard Lou talk about it uh, on the radio broadcast and on the TV broadcast. The mechanics were so much different. And I, and I guess for a taller pitcher, uh, that's a big deal. Remember Daniel Bard when he pitched yeah. here? He had a hard time repeating his delivery. And so they simplified it. And for at least a game uh, against, I'd say, a, a mediocre Mets offense, the best, he looked good, but a, a step in the right direction for sure. You know, I was talking about this yesterday, and like I, I, I went into the season thinking the Red Sox were going to be interesting, but I thought they'd finish in fourth, and I really thought that the best course of action with Eduardo Rodriguez was hope he was good and trade him at the deadline for prospects. Now it looks like they're good and they're trying to contend. So, what do you think about just trying to lock up Erod now and not even play the free agent waiting game with him? So it's a good point, Brady. He was never on my trade list. There are some guys that I would put on that list. And right now, even today at the end of April, I still think if you're not quite in contention, let's say they, they fall back to 
you know, second or third fighting for a wild card in the division. Nathan Avaldi and yeah. Matthew Matt Barnes, like, and he, he was great last night too. Those are guys, final year of their deal-ish, Avaldi's got a year left. Those are guys that think about trading. Erod, to me, has always been someone they should think about locking up because I think he can be a future front-of-the-rotation guy. So Erod wasn't on my list, but you bring up a good point. Like, if you're not contending and you're high on bloom and you're trying to get back to contention, you think you'd trade some of those guys, but those questions are going to be a, a lot more difficult if they're in the mix come July and they're fighting for the division. Do you think that they're really good? Like, I, I still – maybe they're better than fourth. Maybe I'll give up that stance of mine, but like, I still don't <laughs> see them as the division winner. I think they are certainly better than I gave them credit for. I had them fourth as well, for being honest. The Orioles are an embarrassment to baseball right now, so they're fifth. I thought they were behind Toronto and Tampa and the Yankees. I think now those four teams, they look pretty similar. And, and Toronto's pitching really has not been good. So to me, it's now the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays. What I don't know about is their pitching. The Red Sox offense was going to be good no matter what. There are too many bats. They're assuming J.D. Martinez came back and did what he's doing now. They were going to be good. Their pitching is what surprises me. And if you told me that Nathan Avaldi, you know, he falls off, and Nick Pavetta, uh, and some of these guys, Martin Perez, like, those are guys I don't believe in. If Chris Sale doesn't come back, uh, you're right. The pitching is still the biggest question. But at least on paper, like you said, interesting. They're competitive, and they yeah. weren't competitive last year, and that's what we hope for. They're better than I thought. Are they the division's best team? Probably not. I agree with you. You know, I re- – <laughs> I refuse to believe that Ron Renneke was the only problem last season, but I also could acknowledge yep. that Alex Cora appears to be an upgrade over Renneke and appears to be a driving force behind this resurgence. How much of a difference is Cora making in your mind? Huge, huge, huge. And I think the Renneke thing is interesting. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been critical. I've called him a substitute teacher you know, a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. That's what it felt like now looking back on that season. I've had people – from the Red Sox reach out and say, you know, you know, that really wasn't the story, but you know, pretty clear, like the Red, the players did not respond to him. They did not treat last year like a real season. So that's really their fault. Uh, but this year, for whatever reason, Alex Corb showed back up and they started, you know, professional is not the word, but I, I would say competitive. And they lacked that competitive nature last year. And too many of the guys, including JD Martinez, who cared more about fishing than hitting last year, mm-hmm. He's way more into it. So I'm with you. I think Cora had a bad year in 2019. I thought he got that team off to a bad start. He complained about the schedule. But there's a different level of professionalism uh, and belief in that team. I think Cora does deserve a good chunk of that. Mike Wittnaski from WEEI and the Red Sox Radio Network. You'll hear him tonight, 540, with the pregame show for game two of the two-game series between the Red Sox and the Mets. Um you know, I, I got to say, this is going to sound homerish because we carry your games and, and carry EEI's <laughs> coverage, but like, I really do love the pregame show that you're a part of. And it's a very different format, and it's an hour long. A lot of them are a half hour long, and it really has a talk show um, vibe around it, so it's probably different than most pregame shows. Tell me what it's like a little bit hosting that version of the Red Sox pregame. Yeah, this year is definitely different. Uh, we... we... Just it needed to be changed, and so we wanted to. You know, I, I, I really appreciate you saying that. It's supposed to sound like a talk show. It's not supposed to sound like me reading the American League standings or stats. Like I think we're beyond that in in media and beyond that in radio. So I'm having a lot of fun with the pregame show. We have a guest every night. We go live to Fenway. We're mixing some gambling stuff. We have different segments, and so we're just trying to make it sound like a normally hear a, a talk show. And like you said, a lot of the pregame shows including around Major League Baseball and the, the Celtics and, and Bruins, like they're half-hour shows. And so there's 
it's a different format. It's a fun format. We're having a lot of fun with it. Hopefully, you know, for the listeners in Vermont and across New England, it sounds like what you said, Brady. It sounds like a a talk show for an hour leading into Red Sox baseball. Yeah, it's very, very cool. I do enjoy listening to it nightly right here on WDEV. Um, You know, I made this point a couple of days ago. It was the Thursday game when they played Seattle and they lost an extra innings. Um, I don't know if there's concrete data to support this, but anecdotally it feels like to me under these new extra inning rules, it feels like the away team has the advantage. Like, it feels like the ability to hit first is the advantage in extra innings. Like, when Seattle scored four runs, it felt like the game was over. It's not supposed to be that way. Do you feel that way also? I would love to do the math on that. And I, I haven't heard anyone else bring it up, but it would be interesting to see if that's the case. Uh, on the flip side of that, you know, you, you also, if you stop a team, there, there's a you – know, there's a. I would say not depression that sets in, but it's a major advantage. Like if you are able to shut down a team, the runner on second base, nobody out, you carry that momentum into the bottom of the inning. And so I can see, you know, bullpen starting to use their closer in those 10th innings and trying to make sure they can get through that top of the frame. But I haven't looked at the numbers. That would be interesting. I wonder if there's a benefit to, to hitting first versus having that last opportunity yeah, you're right. If you do shut them down, it feels like the game is over the other way for the home team. Oh, but, yeah. And it was on that same night, Seattle scores four, and then in the NL, the away team, Arizona, put up six on on the Reds, and that game fell over too. And it's like, if that were football, it feels like all of a sudden you're down 20 points before you get to possession. Yeah, I, I do like the rule. You know, I, I, I'm a fan of this. I know there are a lot of people that would rather have it just continue to the 15th or 16th inning, I think in the regular season, Brady, over six months, it just becomes too much, especially on some of these pitching staff. So I know Alex Cora has talked about he'd do it even more extreme. He'd go to two runners on in the 11th inning and bases loaded in the 12th. I'm not sure I'm there. I'm not sure I'm with the Pioneer League who said yesterday doing a home run derby yeah. in their extra innings. But it, there's a strategy to it. I, I like the idea of trying to figure out what to do with a runner there on second base. And I like the seven inning games. You know, in these double headers where the middle of the game now feels much more important than a nine inning game does. The thing I like, and and I never thought I'd say this as a former college pitcher, like I like the moving the mound back in the Atlantic League. And even though it's only one foot, like we just need more offense. Like I'm watching last night, like at full disclosure, like I'm a Mariners fan by birth and a Red Sox fan by work association. (laughs) So like I'm watching the Mariners get two hit by Houston and even Houston only has five hits at Red Sox and Mets. It's two to one. And like I used to think those were great pitchers duels. Now I'm like, they're all like that. And that's not that's not entertaining to me. Well, you know why? Because some of the hits, Brady, that, that we grew up on, you know, those are now out because of the shift. Yeah. Like, it's completely changed because the analytics. Balls in play that used to be, you know, get through the left side for a, a seeing eye single, they're now easy ground balls. And, and I don't know if backing up the mound is going to work, but you're right about the lack of action in baseball. And, you know, I have a son who's eight years old, and he loves playing baseball, but it's very hard, again, to watch more than a couple of innings of an actual major league game because – you know, it's it's a strikeout, it's a home run, and there's really no in between. That athleticism that you know should be showcased in the sport, we don't see enough of that. And Theo Epstein's now working with baseball on ways to get it back. But you know, I, I, whether it's the mound, whether I, the, the getting the shift out of baseball doesn't make sense. But there's got to be a way to put more balls in play to show the athleticism of these players to make it so that you know people of all ages, not just you know older baseball fans who grew up on the sport want to invest their time in it because it feels like more and more with all the options you have out there between the different sports and social media and the internet, like 
you better be able to give some quality content to your viewers. And if it's just strikeouts and walks and home runs, that's not going to do it for baseball. You know, in addition to hearing you on the Red Sox pregame show and postgame show, there's also your show on WEI when the Sox aren't playing mutt at night. So you're very, very in tune with the Patriots and Patriots coverage as well. I have to ask you my obligatory day before the draft Pats question. What do you want to see them do in the first round? I can't wait for Thursday night, man. This is going to be – it feels like we've had like a year yes. of draft coverage, Brady. I know you've talked about it. You've done some videos on it. Like, I, I just want a quarterback. I just – well, that's not fair. I want a modern NFL offense. I, I, the idea of Cam Newton and Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, you know, being wheeled out there in 2021 <laughs> as a representative offense, like I just – that's not for me. I want Fields. I want Trey Lance. I want Devonta Smith. I want Jalen Waddell. I want wide receivers and quarterbacks, and it sounds like I'm just some fantasy football nut who just loves offense, but I've seen it too much, like the, the final four in the NFL this year. You had four great quarterbacks, and you had four great number one receivers. The Patriots don't have a great quarterback or a legit number one receiver. So if they trade up for Lancer Fields, I'm okay with that, or if one of them falls there. If they take one of the Alabama receivers, then go to a quarterback in the second round or even trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Modern NFL offense, Brady. Can we get that in New England next year, yeah. please? Modern NFL offense with a, a, a dose of athleticism, which is something the Pats did not have last year. Yes. Very, very robotic. Yeah, and, and speed. They, they, they're lacking speed. So if they go wide receiver in the first round, I'd be okay with it. The, the thing that would drive me crazy, and it's probably what Bill will do, is trade back. Trade back, acquire some picks. Take a defensive player somewhere in the 20s. That's Bill's M.O. I want, again, I sound like a fantasy football. I want offense. Get, get me an offensive player in the first round, please. Well, my I just came to the conclusion, if it's not the quarterback, I'd like them to just trade back. Because if they take like a linebacker at Ooh. 15, I'm going to be I'm gonna be just <laughs> PO'd beyond belief. They might as well at that rate trade into the 20s. A linebacker at 24, I can take more than a linebacker at 15. Micah Parsons, Penn State. I've seen a lot of mock drafts at 15 for the Pats. There's there only been 7,000 mock drafts. I just can't wait for mock draft season to be over. So <laughs> I know. It's, so, it's, 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 it's been a weird year for Patriots fans. We are not used to caring about the draft. We usually sit here, at least at, on my shows that I've done, I've mocked these cities yeah. that have spent months in the draft. But now you have to because they, they need a good draft. They need an influx of talent and Tomorrow night is a huge, huge night for the Patriots. But I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, we are located in central Vermont. Have you? Do you have any good Vermont stories? Do you ever get up to Vermont? Uh, I love Vermont. Uh, any good Vermont stories? Uh, I have some good family that lives uh, up in Vermont. Uh, my, my in-laws live up there, so my wife was actually there over April vacation to see some family. Uh, we've spent some time in Burlington. We've spent some time. Uh, you know, driving up there to uh, upstate New York, which I know you were, you know, worked up in Albany for a while. Yeah. You know, we go to Sar- get to Saratoga in the summer, so uh, we're big fans of Vermont. It's a, it's a great, great uh, state that uh, uh, we try to get to at least uh, once or twice a year. Well, very, very cool. And you did your research on me. That's cool too. So I appreciate that. So Mike Manaski, well, listen, one, listen, what uh, Saratoga one hundred four five the team? Come on, man, that's a that's a powerhouse in Albany. I, I, I'm I'm floored that you've heard of it, listened to it, and knew that I worked there. So there you go. So Mike Fineski over at WEEI, we look forward to uh, hearing all your coverage all season long on Red Sox baseball. And uh, tonight, 540 with the pregame show for Sox and Mets game two from City Field. Mutt, we appreciate it. We'll definitely do it again sometime. Brady, anytime, man. Have a good day. 
Looking for a new career? Pro Driver Training is Vermont's premier truck driver training school, offering Class A and B CDL, passenger, and advanced skills training, with locations in Milton and Enosburg Falls, online at prodrivercdl.com. Taking classes isn't really my thing. Not a problem. Pro Driver Training uses a combination of lab, behind the wheel, and classroom training. They can break things down in a way that's understandable to you. I'm pretty busy. I don't think I have the time. Pro Driver Training will work with you with flexible scheduling. I'm Evan Hallstrom. I got my CDL Class A at Pro Driver Training. Liz and Alex made me feel very comfortable and adjusted training to my needs. At Pro Driver Training, success is their goal. A commercial driver's license can open up a whole new world of opportunities. Pro Driver Training, with locations in Milton and Enosburg Falls, online at prodrivercdl.com. All right, I want to thank Mike McNansky, Mutt, for joining us from WEEI, again, the host of the Red Sox pregame show right here on DEV on weeknights. Really insightful conversation. Certainly uh, did his research on me. I was a little thrown back there. Uh, usually I'm the one doing the Googling and the researching, and uh, he was dropping my old radio station, 104.5 The Team. Like, that's going a couple radio stations ago. So uh, appreciate Mutt for being with us. Certainly was great. Look forward to uh, having him on again. And a fan of Vermont, so I always love when people love Vermont. Um Okay, before we break down at least a portion of the Mutt interview with a few interesting takeaways, I want to enlighten you on these stats on Jacob deGrom, who again will pitch tonight. Think, of, Listen to this. Entering tonight, deGrom has struck out 14 or more batters in three straight starts. He has struck out 14 or more batters in three straight starts. That's tied with Garrett Cole in 2019 and Pedro Martinez in 1999 for the longest such streaks since 1900. Okay, If he can do it tonight against the Red Sox, he'll be the first to do it four straight times. So that's amazing, right? He's going for four straight 14 strikeout performances. Since the beginning of 2020, last year, Jacob deGrom has thrown 319 pitches at 99 miles an hour or more. 319 pitches at 99 miles an hour or more. That's 167 more than anyone else in the major leagues. Jacob deGrom has thrown 167 more pitches 99 miles an hour or more than anybody else. And oh, by the way, if you're a traditionalist and when it comes to your baseball stats, he's got an ERA of 0.31 entering tonight. That is insane. Those numbers I gave you are unbelievable for DeGrom, but this goes back to the point I've now been making for weeks, and the drum is beating louder in my head now. Pitching is now so good. Pitching now has the potential to be so dominant that DeGrom's numbers that I just gave you, okay, three straight, 14 strikeout performances, those numbers don't even excite me that much as a baseball fan, and that's a problem. Jacob deGrom is doing things we haven't seen before. And he's doing things we haven't seen in a very long time. And I'm not even excited by it. Why? Because it feels a little too close to normal. When Pedro Martinez pitched, or when Randy Johnson pitched, what they were felt superhuman. Randy Johnson throwing 96 miles an hour striking everybody out. Pedro Martinez striking everybody out. It felt superhuman. What Jacob deGrom is doing is superhuman. 
it, there's no question what he has done this year and last year is superhuman. But it feels normal to me. It's become normalized, and that's a really big problem. That's a huge problem. Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, they were outliers. It felt special when they took the mound because you're going to see something you never saw before. Jacob deGrom takes the mound and strikes out a bunch of people, and it feels oddly normal. It feels like what deGrom does is possible. It's likely not. It's clearly not repeatable by everybody, but it feels like it might be, and that feeling to me is a problem. I mean, we played yesterday the audio from Tim Kirkchen of ESPN. We had the interview with Jeff Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus. It feels like hitters have no chance. It feels like they have no chance at all, and it feels like that against a lot of different guys. And that's not entertaining to me. I will never succumb to public pressure, and I will never say that baseball is boring. But it is losing some of its entertainment value right now to me. Everybody knows I'm a Mariners fan. That's fine. They're not overly great, I don't think. They're not as good as their record would indicate, and their record at this point is only 13-12. and 12. I watched the Mariners play the Astros last night in a game that took less than three hours. For you pace of play people, the game was less than three hours, but the game wasn't entertaining. Okay, The Mariners got two hit, the Astros got five hit, and the game just plotted along and everybody got out, and there were a ton of strikeouts, and that isn't all that exciting to me. Okay, I want Jacob deGrom tonight to stand out. If the Red Sox are going to lose this game, I want Jacob deGrom to stand out. But it just doesn't to me. Lately, it just hasn't stood out to me because it feels like there's a performance like Jacob deGrom can do possible every night. Look, Garrett Richards had an ERA of almost 7 going into last night's game against the Mets. He had 10 strikeouts yesterday. He had an ERA of almost 7 and had 10 Ks yesterday. Somebody named Christian Javier, who pitched against the Mariners, has an ERA of .87. Jose Urania hadn't won a game in two years. Gives up one run for the Tigers yesterday. These dominant pitching performances, from places you wouldn't expect, they feel too normal. I, I, I think DeGrom's going to pitch great tonight. But it's not going to excite me. It's going to cause me to roll my eyes because it's some, It's a movie that I see every night, it feels like. Not quite to the level of DeGrom, but I see 10 strikeout performances all the time. I see teams strike out 16 times in a game all the time. And that is a problem. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Along that note, I asked Mutt, Mike McNansky, over DE or over WEI, I asked him if he's in favor of moving the mound back, and he said, "Look, I'm not sure if that's the answer. What I am in favor of, though, is altering the shift." So here was Mutt on the shift. Well, you know why? Because some of the hits, Brady, that, that we grew up on, you know, those are now out because of the shift. Yeah, like it's completely changed because the analytics balls in play that used to be, you know, get through the left side for a, a seeing eye single. They're now easy ground balls, and, and I don't know if backing up the mound is going to work, but you're right about the lack of action in baseball. So we don't know if backing up the mound is going to work, but the shift is the problem. And it, it goes into what we're saying about the lack of entertainment in baseball. There are just less hits, and I think the shift should be altered. Okay, The mound being changed back, like I'm in favor of that, but that's likely a years-on-years process. They're going to have to phase that in. It's going to have to be collectively bargained in. The shift can be done immediately. Okay, The shift can be done immediately, and it will help. It won't fix everything, 
but it will help. And you can make it how you want to, right? Everybody needs to play on their side of the infield or everyone needs to play in the infield. I'm more in favor of having everybody play their side of the infield, however you want to, but we need more hits. We see a ton of hits taken away from lefties who hit the ball into the shift uh, in short right field. And then now the new one that I've started to see over the last several years is we see so many balls that are hit up the middle now taken away. Like, you are taught growing up, stay through the ball, hit it up the middle, drive it, the, you know, drive it up the middle. You are taught to hit the ball up the middle. And now, even that is not hit. We all say, oh, we want textbook hitting. We don't want just home runs. Well, textbook hitting is hitting the ball up the middle, and now you're not being rewarded for it. I mean, there was the line drive yesterday the Red Sox hit where Lindor is playing behind second base, catches the ball, doubles up the runner. That should be a single and a play at the plate and a run for the Red Sox or a great throw out from center field by the Mets. But we didn't even get a chance because Lindor is playing the opposite side of second base. He's right behind the bag. He catches the line drive. He tags second innings over. We just don't see as many hits as we should. And I don't want to give credibility to those who hate baseball. I don't want to give credibility to those who have told me how boring baseball is. Baseball is not boring, but it is less entertaining. And I refuse to use the word boring but when nobody can hit and nobody has a chance to hit, it certainly does feel less entertaining. Uh, one more here from Mutt here on uh, Garrett Richards and his performance last night. Uh, I was as shocked as anybody. You heard Lou talk about it uh, on the radio broadcast and on the TV broadcast. The mechanics were so much different. And I, and I guess for a taller pitcher, uh, that's a big deal. Remember Daniel Bard when he pitched yeah. here? He had a hard time repeating his delivery. And- Repeating his delivery. It's something we heard, and he's right. We heard it from Lou Maloney right here on DEV. We heard it from Dennis Eckersley over on the Nesson broadcast. We heard it from Alex Cora after the game. Repeating your delivery, repeating your mechanics, that's a very real thing. Don't even think about it in terms of pitching right now. Think about Cam Newton. Think about how big a deal we made about his mechanics last year. Think about how off he looked. His footwork looked bad. His arm slot looked bad. And it all contributed to his lack of success throwing the football, okay? And then think about how big a focus the mechanics are for Cam this offseason. We know that that is a huge part of his development moving forward. Mechanics to a pitcher are everything. You have to get everything working together in concert, and everything needs to be working in the same direction. Richards has a lot of movement in his delivery, okay? He has a lot of movement in his delivery, Yesterday, his delivery seemed very, very simplified. Okay, I went and looked at some highlights from Garrett Richards this spring, and you notice that when he's in the windup, he'd rock back, right? That left foot would rock back. Yesterday, he didn't step back with that left foot in his windup. He took very little movement. He simplified things. He got back to the basics. He wasn't flying all over the place. Like Part of what I think Garrett Richards does is, the mechanics go haywire, and Richards ends up, you know, the ball the ball follows what your body does. And if your body moves a lot, the ball's going to move a lot and go all over the place. And we saw that with his high walk numbers. Yesterday, a lot less movement, a lot more straight in line with his mechanics, and the ball goes a lot more where he wanted to. No walks, 10 strikeouts. And even though I think that pitching is now so dominant, it wasn't that way for Garrett Richards leading up to yesterday, and the team is going to need him if they want to truly contend. If they want to truly contend, they're going to need 
Richards, Evaldi, these guys that were question marks, they're going to need them to hold together because I've never believed that the rotation would hold up. If they're going to, if I'm going to be proven wrong, then Garrett Richards certainly is going to be one of the main reasons that I am. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, real quick, let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. All right. They really said that? That's the issue for me, is that he is limited physically in a vacuum. Cam Newton's shoulder is what it is. His body is what it is. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. We talked about this on Monday. Albert Breer, Monday morning quarterback. Will the Patriots trade for Julio Jones? I don't know, Tom. I mean, I just, I sort of look at this, and most of the guys that they picked up this offseason, I think you could argue were ascending players. Mm -hmm. And that's not really what Julio is at this point. Yeah, look, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I've pretty much said my piece on this on Monday, but. I'm not in favor of the Patriots trading for Julio Jones. He's 32 years old, coming off an injury-plague season where he only played nine games last year. Now you're going to have a 17-game season, so there's an extra game in there. So he's an older player who's expensive, $39 million owed. He has three years left on his deal. I can go draft a wide receiver in the first round and have him for five years at an affordable rate, or in the second through seventh round and have him at four years at an affordable rate, and I can get him longer and cheaper and you know more healthy. So there's wide receivers to be had in this draft. There's wide receivers to be had all over the draft, and we see it every year where wide receivers kind of come out of nowhere. Now, I'm not saying the, the Pats should bank on getting a wide receiver out of nowhere. I'd still like to see them take wide receivers high up, but Julio Jones is not a direction they need to go in. So... <laughs> You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. All right, I want to get now to our guy, Freddie Coleman, ESPN radio host, and you can check him out. Whenever the Red Sox are playing like they are tonight, you can find him on the WDEV radio stream at WDEVradio.com. So, Freddie, my man, appreciate you being with us as always here every single Wednesday. How are you? I'm good, brother Brady. How's everything with you? Everything is good. I, we're just finally to the finish line nearly of the NFL draft stuff. Like, I love the draft. I'm going to watch every pick of the next couple of days, but I just I can't do mock drafts anymore. So thank God we're here. Yeah, I've never done mock drafts at all, and I get it that those analysts, whether it's Mel Kiper Jr. or Daniel Jeremiah, I know they do a great job of putting their opinions out there, who they believe are the top 32 players on their board, but I've never been a big believer in mock drafts because you just never know what's going to happen on draft day where a team may think about taking a player, then change their mind or get wowed by a trade. So mock drafts are good for conversation points for those who want to have those conversations, but I've never, ever been a party to something like that. So I think good news on multiple fronts for the Patriots heading into the draft, though. You know, right before um, you know, right before we spoke today, Teddy Bridgewater getting traded from the Panthers to the Broncos. So on one hand, I didn't want Teddy Bridgewater to be the quarterback of the Patriots, so now he's off the market for them. And yeah. Denver was a team that could have taken a quarterback, and it seems likely now that they're going to roll with Bridgewater and Drew Locke. So this this looks like good news on two fronts for the Pats. Yeah, there's no doubt about that because I firmly believe that they're going to be in the market that if Justin Fields is not taken at number three, 
by the San Francisco 49ers. I firmly believe, Brady, that that's either going to be Trey Lance, the quarterback out of North Dakota State, or Mac Jones, the quarterback out of Alabama. Justin Fields could potentially fall to the New England Patriots as low as 15 if they decide to trade up a little bit and maybe get into that 10th spot of the Dallas Cowboys and maybe do that. But they may not have to do anything in terms of getting a quarterback for their future, or they may just sit tight and try to find a quarterback in the later rounds. we got Kyle Trask, who's available from the University of Florida, K.J. Costello out of Mississippi State, and he started at Stanford. he got Kellen Mond at Texas A&M. So even if they don't get Justin Fields, they would not be devoid of quarterback options once the first round is over. If the Pats don't take a quarterback, if they're not going to take a quarterback in the first round, what do you think they should do? I just I made the argument yesterday, if it's not the quarterback, pretty much nothing excites me, and I would just trade back and try to acquire more picks. Oh, that's what they're going to do. If they don't get the guy they want a quarterback, they'll definitely trade back because even though they really improved their football teams in terms of their free agent signings on both sides of the football and the guys that opted out last year are going to come back, there really is not a lot that they need. They just have to believe that if they don't draft a quarterback in the first round, that Cam Newton and or Jared Stidham are going to be the guys that can really bring it home the quarterback position. And we all know this, Brady, the jury is out as far as that goes. So it's going to be very interesting if the Patriots do what they usually do, that is trade back to get more picks. But here's the deal with that. You look at the Patriots' track record when it comes to draft picks in the last five yeah. years. Uh, there are a lot of 0-for-4s and 1-for-4s and 3-strikeouts, use a baseball term, but their success or lack of success when it comes to those picks. So whoever they decide to draft, to me, that's the biggest need for the Patriots. Whoever you draft, you better hit on that guy, not just for this year, but in the coming years, because you can only go so far trying to find these hidden, these diamonds in the rough and think that that's going to work out. You know, it was Diana Rossini of ESPN who said it yesterday, and we've heard this scuttle for a bit now, that the Pats could trade Stephon Gilmore as um, part of a package to get up inside the top 10. Look, the Lions are at 7, Carolina's at 8, and Denver's at 9. Do any of those teams strike you as a good trade partner for Gilmore that they, they may want a DB and you know sacrifice their pick to the Pats? Potentially, definitely Carolina at number 8, and definitely Dallas at number 9, at number 10, because if the Cowboys don't take a cornerback in the draft, I could see that be a willing partner for the Patriots, where they go to that spot, get the quarterback that they believe they're going to need, and Justin Fields, if he's going to be there, and then the Cowboys help out their defense, and if they have to part with the pick, they're willing to do that, because they don't believe they need anything offensively, and I'm with Dallas on that standpoint. All the help that they really need, Brady, has to be on the defensive side of the football, so... The Broncos, I definitely think you're right, out of the running with trading Teddy, getting Teddy Bridgewater from the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers could be in the running, but I think they're going to sit tight at number eight. I don't believe the Falcons are going to trade out at number four. I wouldn't do that if I were them. When you get a chance to get a guy like Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase, the tight end from Florida and a wide receiver from LSU, respectively, you take those guys to about Matt Ryan. So the logical trading part of potentially would be two guys that get along very well. That is Bill Belichick of the Patriots and Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. I am not in on the Julio Jones to New England rumors. Uh, you know, Peter King had mentioned them as a possibility for Jones if Atlanta trades him. Uh, what do you think of that rumor? I look at it this way. Peter King is pretty well dialed in from that standpoint. And if he is hearing some kind of smoke along those lines, I'm going to lean towards him a little bit that the pages could be in play for a guy that still has enough ability that can help out your quarterback. Adding a Julio Jones is not going to be a detriment to your team, especially when the offseason. You brought in Nelson, Nelson Aguilar over here. You brought in Bourne from San Francisco over there. You got John Newsmith, the Titan from the Tennessee Titans, and then Hunter Henry from the Los Angeles Chargers. So adding a Julio Jones to that mix is not going to be a bad thing if you're the Patriots. I will say this, and you're the Atlanta Falcons. 
how much are you willing to give up? Because if I'm anybody trying to get Julio Jones, I'm going to try to lowball them as much as possible. And that may not be the kind of offer that they're looking for to part with the guy that I believe has a chance to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio host with us. You can check him out weeknights at 9 p.m. here on Red Sox Game Days. You can check him out streaming always at WDEVradio.com. And he's here with us on the Brady Farkas Show. Uh, I, I don't know why I'm wasting my breath on the Celtics with you at this moment, but they lose again last night. They lose to the Thunder. The Thunder had lost 14 consecutive games coming in. The Seas played without Robert Williams and without Jason Tatum, without Kemba Walker. Like, I want to crush them, but like I never know who's playing for them nightly, so I still don't really know who this team is 70 games into the season, Freddie. Well, see, that's the problem right there, Brady. Not from you, but we don't know what this team is or who this team is, and that is a problem when you have about 10 to 11 games left in the regular season because maybe this is who they are, a team that when they're motivated will play up to the level of their competition – and if a team when they're disinterested, we saw it happen last night. You have no business doing something that had never been done before in the history of the Boston Celtics, losing to a team that had a 14-game losing streak coming into that game. And Jalen Brown was really, really frustrated. But how many times, Brady, have we heard that from Jalen Brown or from Kimball Walker or from Brad Stevens or from Jason Tatum? At a certain point, when a guy's going to stand up and be counted because you're the kind of organization that you don't settle for excuses and you never should settle for excuses. There are a lot of banners in the ceiling of your building because those teams that won championships did not have excuses be a part of their DNA when it comes to the season. So you're the Boston Celtics. If that's not a dividing line, what happened last night, then you know what? Just have done with it. Just losing the first round. I'm not going to say they're going to blow the team up, but you're going to have to make some changes, not just from a player personnel standpoint, but maybe even from a chemistry standpoint, if you're Danny Ainge who's running things in Boston. I want to move over to the Red Sox. They're taking on the Mets tonight. Not even so much the Red Sox, just baseball in general. Freddie, I, we're baseball guys. I love baseball. I'm never going to be one of the people that says baseball is boring, but I will say the entertainment value is being taken a little bit away from me. Like Jacob DeGrom's pitching tonight for the Red Sox, and he's going for his fourth straight start of 14 strikeouts or more. And that's only that's never happened. However, it feels like it's normal to me now to just see all these strikeouts. Like it, when Randy Johnson pitched, it felt like an event that I'd never seen before. I feel like I see something like DeGrom's doing every night now, and that is a problem. Because the hitters are making it so easy because it's either a big fly or a big whiff, and that is completely bad for baseball. And that's why Gary Sheffield, the former Major League Baseball home run hitter, said what he had to say in terms of, I don't like this kind of game of baseball. And he's not the only one because I've not been a fan of this game of baseball for a long, long time. And like you, I am a baseball fan. I do love the sport, even at times when the sport does not love us back. I still continue to love baseball. But it's gotten to the point now that I'm watching more highlights than actual games. And that's why it was so cool to see the Padres and Dodgers, what we saw the last two weekends. Yeah, they were hitting home runs and there were strikeouts, but they were moving guys over. They were getting timely base hits. They were doing this. They were stealing bases. It was the kind of baseball that I was used to seeing growing up in the 70s and 80s where you had your home run hitters, but you had so many versatile players that were so good at doing so many different things. The days of the Willie McGee's and the Vince Coleman's are long gone, and that's bad for Major League Baseball because that's what made that game great, where everybody didn't play the same. Major League Baseball, you know what they become, Brady? They become when you put condos in a certain area of a place that was an empty lot and every house looks mm. the same, and everybody doesn't mind it, but everybody wants something different and people rail against it. That's what Major League Baseball is, and if somebody tried to do something different, going back to the way baseball used to be played, then somebody starts hooting and hollering, whether it's somebody that's an agent of a player or a team in analytics, 
when you have so many different messages out there to try to have a baseball as a sport to be relevant again, then you got too many cooks stirring the broth, and that's going to be bad for baseball. Everybody wants to play the same way, but it's not been a good same way when it comes to the sport. Freddie, does the NBA have the same problem? I feel like my biggest criticism of the NBA is everything is a three or a dunk, and that's just about it. Do we let that slide because it's more offense and that ultimately is more entertaining? Because it feels like the same issue. Well, that's a fair point, but I think the difference is the the skill of the NBA player is a lot better to me than we've seen in the past. A, a Nikola Jokic, for example, a big man who can play inside, can play outside, can play make. Joel Embiid can play on the inside and outside as well. So you have versatile big men that I believe are helping the NBA game. And you're right in terms of the psychology of the NBA right now because everything is a three or a dunk. But we've seen a Utah Jazz team where they get to the mid-range and they take three-point shots, they get to the front of the rim, they get to the mid-range game, they get into the lane. So that kind of basketball is still being played with certain basketball teams. The Clippers, they do that a lot, where they find the mid-range and get to the free-throw line. They try to find those points in transition, not just have it as a three-point line contest where they're running to that three-point line. And I get everybody wants to play pace and space. So I'm not going to say it's totally the same thing as Major League Baseball because different teams are doing different things. But at times, you have a game the other night was 146 to 143 in overtime, and I said, I don't know if that's a good basketball game. If it happens once in a while, fine. But I've seen that game way too many times, and the NBA may have to take a serious look at that. But if it means that more eyeballs are watching their product, although I don't think that's the case, then that's something the NBA is going to have to figure out going forward and not just in the playoffs and not just the rest of the regular season. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, one of the best, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, 9 p.m. weeknights and on days when we have Red Sox baseball. You can always check it out streaming on the free WDEV Radio app or at WDEVradio.com. Freddie, we appreciate it, and we will talk to you next week, and we will actually have a draft to recap. Yeah, no doubt about that, and all the mock drafts will go by the wayside at least until next year. All right, I want to thank Freddie Coleman for joining us as he does every single Wednesday. Freddie is certainly one of the best. What we're going to do is we are going to uh, have the crew cut up the interview from Freddie, cut up the rest of the interview from Mutt, and we will use it tomorrow on the Brady Farkas Show Live. So we will talk, uh, we'll really break down the Freddie interview and his stuff on the draft uh, coming up tomorrow. So we'll have a full show tomorrow, a full 90 minutes. Tomorrow will be draft day. Patriots scheduled to pick at number 15. Will they stay there? The latest rumors, the last-minute misinformation, the last-minute BS to sort through, it's all coming up tomorrow live, 5.30 to 7, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. And remember, thank you to everybody who subscribes, rates, reviews, the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel right here on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So uh, stick with it. Tell your friends. We appreciate you being along for the ride. 177,000 downloads and counting would not be possible without you. I'll see you tomorrow live on DEV, everybody. Brady Farkas Show right here.